Amen. So kids, uh, fourth grade and younger can be dismissed to the children's ministry right over here. Y'all going to have a great lesson and learn about Jesus. Amen. All right. So, hey, last week we covered a chapter and a half, which is pretty aggressive. But the main things we learned was about keeping the commands of the Lord and building an altar to the Lord and how Israel did all that and, and how Israel under Moses became the people of the Lord. And then he warned them. He said, but there's certain curses that if you do not obey, they will come upon you. And he named all kinds of curses, which we'll review some later. But then he said, but if you obey, you'll, you'll receive the blessings of the Lord. And he lays out on the choices and, and the things that we have all every day is choices. And one of the best things you can ever remind yourself of is that you honor God by the choices you make. You, God has given you an amazing gift called free will, and he wants you to use it to glorify him. And he, but he puts conditions behind each. He says, yeah, if you choose good, man, I'm just going to open the heavens and bless you. And if you choose what's wrong, there's going to be consequences. And so we make all the choices. Now, that doesn't mean that every negative thing that happens in our life is a consequence of bad choices. Life is tough, right? And, and we live in a sin-cursed world that we work by the sweat of our brow, women deliver babies with extreme pain, there's a lot of things that just go wrong. Viruses happen, there's all kinds of things that happen, and not all of them are a direct result of your choices, but a lot of them are. And so we don't want to compound our pain by making poor choices. Um, so uh, this week I want you to read with me, I'm going to read this slide, you'll read every other slide with me, okay? So Deuteronomy 28, we pick up with verse 15. It says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come and upon you and overtake you. Join me on verse 16. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you be your basket and your kneading bowl. And then verse 18 says, cursed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground. And, and he does a lot of couplets here, as you'll see the pattern here. He says, the, the increase of your herds and of your young flocks. Verse 19 says, cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. And then together on this slide, the Lord will send you on curses, confusion and frustration, and all that you undertake to do, until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds, because you have forsaken me. Verse 21 says, the Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you're entering to take possession of it. And then together on 22, the Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew and they shall pursue you until you perish. Anybody encouraged this morning? <laughs> this is a rough passage, isn't it? And then here, the last verse I'll read here. It says, and the heavens over you of your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the, will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven dust shall come down until you are destroyed. And this is the word of the Lord. We're thankful that we have the scriptures that we can read and learn from. And this is an interesting passage. Again, let's put it in context. This is not verses all for America or for the 21st century. I'm not saying the Bible's outdated. I'm not saying that at all. But we do have to put in context that this was a nation that was about to go into war, and there were special rules for them going into this. So all the laws you know about, you have to wash your hands during certain times or sacrifice certain animals certain times, that that's, was been covered and been fulfilled by Christ. 
But are there principles we can still learn from this? Absolutely, there sure is. If you were to drive down the road, a road that you weren't familiar with, and the weather's starting to get bad, and it's getting dark and dreary, and you see this sign, what are you going to do? Turn around. Some of you will probably want to press on, I don't know, on your four-wheeler. But, uh, but this sign's there for a reason. And so think of someone going down this road and getting stuck in their car and getting a flat tire and whatever else, and then they can't get their car backed out of the mud. And they're like, man, why is this bad stuff happening to me? Why does God allow this? And God's like, uh, did you see the sign back there? Were you not paying attention at all? And all over our life and all over the scripture, there are yellow signs saying, caution, proceed with caution. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs says that, that the prudent foresee the evil, but the fool presses on and is confident. It's like, oh, no, I can do this. I can do this. And then they blame God for all the consequences that they're suffering from in their life. So today, this chapter is about avoiding the cursed life and its consequences. Avoiding the cursed life and its consequences. The setting here, remember, he put six tribes on one hillside and, and six tribes on the other hillside. And the Levites were in the middle. And this was like a natural amphitheater where he's speaking to all these people. We're talking about probably 1.4 to some people say as much as 2 million people which could easily fit here, but he's speaking to all of them and he's giving them these warnings before they go into the promised land. And last week, he gave out all these blessings. He said, you know, whether you're in the city or out working in the field, whether it's the seed in your wife's womb or the seed you put in the ground, or whether it's your cattle, you know, cows and ox or your herds, which is sheep and goats, whether it's you're picking up the grain and putting it in the basket or you're grinding the grain and kneading it in the bowl, whether you're going out of your house or you're coming home from a hard day's work, and whether it's an enemy that rises against you, he's going to just chase them out before you. They're going to come in one way. God's going to scatter them out seven ways. And, and whether, you, whether it's your barns or something you're going to undertake, your future barns or whatever plans you have, God's going to just bless you all over the place. And this was a promise he had for Israel that he would be a part of everyday life if if they would obey. Everybody say if. If. You see, we think, yes, God's love is unconditional, but God's blessings are not. There's a big if there. If you will obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, I'm going to discipline you, just like your children. You're not going to just give them everything they want, no matter how they behave. At least most of you don't. You should be giving them discipline and love and rewarding them for good behavior, and loving them unconditionally. And both, both God's discipline and God's blessings are both part of his love. But we have to realize that there is a condition. And see, here's the big change, though. In chapter 28, he takes this whole list here and turns it into a curse. He says, cursed to be you sitting in the field, the womb and the ground, the cattle, herd, whether you come in or out. In other words, you're not going to be able to get away from the consequences of your disobedience. If you keep doing wrong, you're just going to think, well, I'll just run out to the field and get away from it. It's going to follow you out there. So well, I'm just going to go home and maybe I'll get away from it. No, it's going to follow you there. Whether you come in or go out. And you know what? Instead of you defeating your enemies, you're going to be defeated by your enemies. And in fact, you're going to go against them one way and, God, and God's going to see to it that you're scattered in seven different directions. But what's really interesting is there's no mention of the barns and the plans you undertake. And I started thinking about that. Why is that? Why did he leave that out? Because I was carefully comparing the two lists and looked all over the place. I'm like, did I miss it somewhere? 
he does talk about the undertaking later, but he purposely leaves out the barns and the undertake here because guess what? You're going to be so cursed, there's nothing to put in the barn. And you're going to be so cursed, there's no future. You're not going to take any, undertake any plans. You're, not, you're just going to try to survive day to day. You're not thinking about next year or you have a five-year plan. So let me go through several points about living under the consequences of a curse. First of all, the curse brings confusion. The curse brings confusion. It says the Lord will send on you curses, and the first thing that comes with that curse is confusion. I don't like to be confused. You know, sometimes you know, I'm driving, and we're, like we were traveling this past week because of an, a funeral in Oklahoma, and I'm following the GPS, but the GPS is saying one thing, and the road, the road signs are saying another, and I'm like, oh, is it not updated or whatever? And I don't like being confused, right? Because that, that only can just be frustrating. It can be dangerous. Like at the last minute, oh, take this exit now, you know, and you cut off seven people on the way to, over there. You know, confusion is not good. It doesn't feel good. It causes bad consequences, and there's a lot of things that go with it. He, he says down in verse 28, he says, The Lord will strike you with madness. In other words, not being able to think straight and blindness, which I believe this is not only talking about spiritual blindness, but also in many cases physical blindness and confusion of mind. Those three go together. Madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. And watch this. See if this doesn't sound familiar. And, and, and you shall grope at noonday. You'll be like, where is it? Where's the door? Right in the middle when the sun it should be at its highest as, as the blind grope in darkness and you shall not prosper. Blindness and groping. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You, you know what it reminded me of? And I think Moses is doing this on purpose. He's going back to Genesis. And I'm going to go through this story because it describes in great detail about what confusion, blindness, and and, and uh and groping, sorry, <laughs> have to do with one another. And this story, let me just give you a, a, a little warning here. This is a pretty sad story. This is just pathetic. And, and, it, and I can just read through it, and not only have to make a comment, you'll just see how pathetic it is. So the two angels, messengers that were trying to rescue Lot from Sodom, they came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now the phrase sitting in the gate means he was a city council member. The gate was where court hearings were held and where judgments were made and the city council met. So Lot, he just went there to kind of make some money. But the next thing you know, he's one of the leaders in the city, which is not a great compliment because it's a wicked city. And when Lot saw them, the angels, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. So he recognizes who they are. In fact, I think he's the only one that does, but you'll see why here in a minute. And he said, my lords, Please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, which was normal when you washed guest feet. In other words, be my guest, spend the night in my house. And he said, then you may rise up early and go your way. He's like, hurry up, come in, and before anybody else gets up, hurry up and get out. Because you don't, he's, if you read between the lines, he's embarrassed by his city because everybody in that city is so wicked, he doesn't want them to be exposed. He's like, hurry up and come in my house. I'll take care of you. And first thing in the morning, before anybody else gets up, just, you need to probably go. And they said, no, no, that's fine, Lot. We'll, we'll spend the night out here in the town square. They, they know. that, that And they're kind of playing with them, like, yeah, no, we'll hang out here in your wicked city. And, and now he's like, please, please, come in. And so, um, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, okay, picture this, every, every male in the city surrounded the house. Good things are not about to happen. 
And they called to Lot. They're knocking on the door. Lot, Lot, where are the men that came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. This was not the welcome wagon, okay? This is the same word that Adam knew Eve and she bore a son. They're wanting to do perverted things with these men. And they're like, we've done perverted things with every other man in this city. We're bored. We need, oh, there's new guys. Let's move on to the new guys. It it just, it, it gets worse. And Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Again, they're not there to greet the men and, and welcome them. Behold, I, I can't even hardly read this. I have two daughters who have not known, been with any man. Let me bring them out to you, and you do them as you please. I, I wish I could go back. and If there was a time machine, I wouldn't go back to this scene right here and just jack Lot in the jaw as hard as I could. Are you serious? You're going to give your two daughters to a bunch of perverted, a mob of perverted men. I, I don't even have words for this. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Lot is like, has like this much religion left, and it's wrong. It's just messed up. It's just like, oh, you can't hurt God's angels here, so mess with my daughters. I, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I'll just move on. Um, I didn't promise this to be comfortable. <laughs> it's in the Bible. I have to teach it here. But they said, stand back. They tell, they're like, Lot, get out of our way. Stay, sit back. We know this is your house. And they said, this fellow, and they said, this fellow, Lot, he came to sojourn. He just came in as a temporary traveler. And next thing you know, he thinks he's the judge over us. By the way, he actually was. <laughs> he sat on city council, so yes, he was the judge. But they're saying the very thing. We can do whatever evil want. Don't judge me. Don't judge me, man. And that's, that's, is that not describe America right here in the 21st century? Everybody wants to just do whatever they want to do sexually, morally, and immorally, and just say, but don't judge me. And so Lot's just saying, hey, you know, don't, don't mess with these guys. And they're like, oh, don't judge me. And then it goes on to say, uh, but the men, talking about the angels, reached out their hands. And actually, let me go back just real quick here. And it says, now, right after he says, become the judges, now we will deal worse with, the, with you than them. Oh, yeah, you won't let us have them? We're going to mess with you, and we're going to do worse things to you than we had planned on doing them. Then they pressed hard against the, the man Lot and drew near to break the door. So can you imagine, you've shut the door behind you, and the mob is pressing so hard to you that your big wooden door is about to go and break. That's how violent this scene is getting. Keep that in mind as you read this next verse. But the men, the angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house and shut the door. Two angels against the pressure of hundreds of men, and they're just like, they could have done a whole lot more. They could have struck them all uh, dead, but they they have a little mercy, and here's what they did. They struck them instead with blindness. And all the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping. And so there's those two words, blindness and groping, and I think Moses is saying, hey, you get a choice. You can move into the promised land and be blessed, or you can be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Which one do you want to do? Do you want to see the light, or do you want to live in total blindness, spiritually, morally, and maybe even physically, as you grope through the promised land? I don't think that's what you're choosing today. I hope that's not what you're choosing. But notice that here's the thing. These men, so think about this. You're trying to do this evil, but then two angels pull Lot in, slam the door on you, and strike you with blindness. 
Do you think maybe, just maybe, you'd be like, oh, man, why am I miraculously now blind? Could it be that these angels are saying that my behavior is bad, and I really need to go home and think about this. I can't believe that now I'm blind because of the evil of my life. Do you think they would think that? No. Because when people are spiritually blind, they do little cosmetic changes in their life, but they don't truly repent. Repentance comes from the Lord. And, and the Holy Spirit of God has to convict you to where you're willing to change. But these men are such in blinds, they're still groping for the door to still do their perverted acts. And, and, and when people say, well, the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality, I'm like, which Bible are you reading? Okay, I mean, it does, old, and they'll say, well, that's just Old Testament. Um, I can give you a dozen or more verses in the New Testament that to condemn it as well. And, say, and then they say, well, maybe parts of the New Testament does, you know, Peter, Paul, James, and all those, but Jesus never did. Um, Jesus said from the beginning, it was male and female, period. And if that's not a condemnation of that behavior, I'm not sure what else is. But uh, my question for you this morning is, what spiritual blindness is in your life? And are you wearing yourself out, groping to find what's going to make you happy? There's people who are spiritually blind thinking, oh, if I could just get a raise, if I could just get a promotion, if I could just make more money, that's going to make me happy. It's like, man, God struck you with blindness and you're still going to keep pressing for this sin? Oh, if I could just marry him instead of that other guy, whatever, I'd be happy. You know, or if I could just have this, if I could just have a better car, if I could just be prettier or thinner or whatever. And we just grope in the dark for trying to find something to bring satisfaction in life. And what we need is Jesus. There's nothing that you're looking for in life that Jesus can't fulfill and satisfy through himself and through what he provides. Stop groping in the dark. Stop being, and you know, we can be really hard on these men, but it, we are, we can be just like them in many ways. So the curse not only brings confusion, it also brings frustration. It brings frustration. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do. So there he brings the word undertake, separates it from the barn, and brings it down a little bit lower. And so God says, if you're going to make bad choices, and notice he just doesn't say it's the choices because you have forsaken me. You see, when you start disobeying God, it's because you started not spending time with God. You see what I'm saying? It, 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 we think, oh, I can get a few days off reading my Bible without prayer. I'm just too busy for all that. And, but I'm still living good. I'm kind of coasting. It's just a slippery slope down. Next thing you know, like you could be wake up in the morning, how did I get in this mess? I don't think the average guy sitting under the, the, uh, the expressway said 10 years ago, I want to be sitting under a bridge holding up a sign. But it started one little thing at a time, one little thing at a time. And sin does that. It creeps into our life. And so what ends up happening is you, you st try to live apart from God, you will be frustrated. You'll say, I'm going to try to get a better job. Why can't I find the right job? I, I, want to, I want to get married. I can't find someone or whatever it may be. I want to be healthier. And I, this doesn't be happening. And all these things, you get frustrated because you seem to run into brick walls. You know, if you plant things in your life, you're going to reap a harvest. And hopefully you're planting good things in your life. But one of the dumbest things that people ever say to college students is, oh, you know, go sow your wild oats. Um, you sow oats, you will reap a harvest. And, and why do people think they're entitled during their college years to just party it up and live like an animal? It, just, it is going to mess up your marriage. It's going to mess up your life. It may mess up your health. 
I was counseling with someone a couple years ago who got an STD while in college, and now she can't have children. She's, she, it, it left her sterile. And you say, oh, even sometimes parents will say, oh, go off, you know, party, have fun, but, you know, make sure you put that behind you after you sow your wild oats. You reap what you sow. You're, you're going you're gonna to reap it in a bad way. Galatians 6 says, for whatever one sows or plants, that will also reap or harvest. It's a guarantee. It's just the law of the harvest. It's not God picking on you. It's just God saying, hey, you planted that seed years ago. Now, what do you expect to grow up in the, in the backyard of your life? And, of course, the key thing here is do not be deceived. Who, who are we deceiving? We're deceiving ourselves. We think, I can do this little sin over here and plant this seed and bury it. No, well, no. And, not, and act like nothing's ever going to happen. Like, that's not going to grow up. Like, that weed's not going to start choking the fruit in our lives. Don't be deceived. Um, hey, I want to show you an, an interesting video here. And you... Okay, so what's the lesson from that video? Don't buy a bigger choice. So the alligator, the crocodile, bites the cat, right? But then he ends up getting bit, right? What, any other lessons here? Don't mess with alligators. James? Don't underestimate, right? And so we're all looking at this video saying, man, all those things you just said, and, uh, but you know what the real lesson is? You've been tricked. It was a cheetah on the shore that the alligator bit. It comes out a jaguar. Someone put together two different videos and just totally tricked y'all. We're thinking, oh, you know, don't give up, keep fighting, all those different things, all these positive things. But someone just spliced together two different videos and deceived us. And we, we could be deceived so easily. It just happened, right? We could be deceived by so many things. We, we could be deceived into thinking everybody does it. It's okay. It's normal for teenagers to, sex, to text and, and to do sexting and all that stuff. It's normal. For, in fact, one uh, website says life is short, have an affair. It's just that's what people do, and they do all kinds of crazy stuff, and they condone this. And I'm telling you, as, as sure as I'm standing here, there will be consequences for bad choices. And you think, oh, but that was 10 years ago. I got away with it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. It may take, some plants take longer to grow than others. So the curse brings frustration. We feel like we're running into a brick wall at times. In fact, it reminds me of a story in the, in, in, the, in the book of Acts. Peter and the apostles are preaching the gospel. And they're, they're commanded to stop preaching. And they arrest them and they put them in chains. And they're telling them, you can't preach this gospel and all that stuff. And so Gamaliel, who's one of the smarter Pharisees, and he's, in fact, Paul was trained by Gamaliel. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And he steps up and says, hey, guys, you might want to think twice before what you do with these guys. And it says, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, and he said to them, men of Israel, talking about to the, to the Sanhedrin, take care what you are about to do with these men. For if this plan is the undertaking of man, it'll fail. If these guys aren't of God, and it's just a bunch of men getting worked up, saying that they, they believe in the Messiah, it's just going to pass away like all the other fake messiahs. But... If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. 
And when you live by poor decisions and the curses start and the consequences start coming, you're not just fighting against your bad choices, you're fighting against God. In fact, the King James English says, you might be found fighting God. And let me just say, there, there, there's, I don't know what's going on in your personal lives, but I know in my life, there's been a time where I was making bad choices and nothing seemed like it would work out. And I got frustrated and I eventually got to a point where I had to repent and ask God to forgive me. And then all the doors started opening. And God's not doing it because he's some cosmic killjoy, just some old gray-headed man with a long beard who likes to whack people with a ruler. He does it because he loves you. He does it because you love you. You do that with your toddlers. You put up baby gates. You put up locks on the, you know, the, the child safety locks on the cabinets. You do all kinds of things. And you know, your kid wants to get into the, the, underneath the sink and can't. And he's looking at you like, well, I want to get in here. You're like, yeah. And there's all kinds of chemicals in there. It's hurting it. And in his mind, the two-year-old mind is like, bad mommy, fun is in here. Bad mommy, let me have fun. You know? And you, they can't even understand all that that could do to them. And we can't understand sometimes why God says no to things. But let me just tell you, we do understand and we can understand. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's because he does. And he's basically, when he says thou shalt not, he's saying don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Don't do damage to your life and to your heart. See, what we need to understand is the difference between a brick wall and hurdles. Not every time you experience hurdles, does that mean God's saying stop? God's saying, hey, let's get over it. Let's get over it. Keep going. Keep climbing. Keep running. Keep running. But there's sometimes we run into the brick walls, and there's no getting over it. And we were like, but I want it. I want it. I want And we're like a three-year-old who just wants what they want. And you have to realize, you know, that's a brick wall. We need to turn around and go the other way. So when you encounter hurdles, don't give up. If it's something you can get over with God's help, do so. See, we, we want a clear path with no hurdles and no brick walls. God says, that's not realistic. That's not the way life works. I do put hurdles in front of you to make you stronger. But I also put brick walls in front of you to stop you. And he, what you need to do is pray for discernment, stay in the word, and be around wise friends to understand the difference between the two. It's not always easy, but it does take discernment. Number three, the curse closes the heavens. The curse closes the heavens. It says, and the heavens over you shall be bronze. In other words, you, they visualize praying and their prayers going up to God. And God says, boom, boom. These prayers just bouncing off the wall. You ever heard that phrase? Just prayers bouncing off the ceiling. And it's just saying, hey, I'm not going to bless you. In fact, I really don't even want to hear your prayers until you get your heart right. And what we do is we want God to give me, give me, give me, give me. And we say, well, why isn't God giving to us? As if God is some you know, miraculous cosmic vending machine. You put your tithes and offering in, and you push this, and you get something out. It doesn't work that way. It's a relationship. He's a father. You're his child. He wants to love you. He wants to care for you. And when things aren't going your way, it's one of two things. One, he's trying to protect you from it. Or two, he's saying, what are you asking for me things for? You haven't even talked to me in days. I'm trying to teach you things to be more like my son. I've got instructions in your word. I've got these 66 love letters I've written for you. And you pay no attention to them. But then you're over here. But God, give me this job. And I, have you ever been in a relationship where someone totally used you? Did you like it? <laughs> Does God like it? You know, that's the way we treat our prayers. Gimme, gimme, gimme but I really don't have time for you. I got to get to work. And so it needs to be a relationship. I'm not trying to guilt you into these things. 
I'm not trying to guilt myself into it. I'm saying that there is a relationship to enjoy. I, my relationship with Tammy, I can't, okay, I have to buy flowers. Oh, I have to rub her feet. I have to do these things. I have to pick up after myself. Oh, man. No, I want to do those things because I love her, and we enjoy each other's relationship, and there's blessings that go if we have a relationship and we spend time. Is it work? Sometimes it's work, but most time it's a joy because I love her, and that should be the motivation. Um, 1 Kings 8.35 says, And when the heaven is shut up and there is no rain, and you say, Gary, you're making a stretch here about the prayer thing. No, that's what 1 Kings says. It says, If they pray towards this place and acknowledge your name and, and turn from their sin, when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive their sin. So the bronze overhead blocking our prayers, it, he's, it's a symbol of rain not coming down, but it's also a symbol of prayers not being answered, and we have to get our sins forgiven. So my question this morning is, do you feel like God's not answering your prayers? You don't have to raise your hand. I just want to know, do you feel like there's God's not answering your prayers, or maybe a specific prayer you're praying? Then maybe, is there a sin that's hindering your fellowship with your Heavenly Father? You know, if, if one of my kids was very disobedient to me and not doing what I wanted and I, just simple things I'm asking them to do and being kind to me and enjoying the father-child relationship, then all of a sudden they say, hey, Dad, well, me and my friends are going to movie. Can I have 20 bucks? I'm going to be like, are you talking to me? Because the kid I was talking to is supposed to clean his room and supposed to do his homework first, and now you're wanting something from me, but you're totally disregarding me. And that's why Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say? You can't disconnect your obedience to the answers of your prayers. So here's, the, another, here's our last point. The curse brings out the worst. The curse brings out the worst. Now, for those of you who are new, we talk, I like to talk a lot about what's called chiastic structures because it is one of the major keys of understanding Scripture. And, and what happens is we think in the Western world linear like we say, here's what happened first, here's what happened second, here's what happened third, and here's how the story ended. But in the Hebrew culture, they do what's called a chiasm. They introduce the topic first, and then they'll say two, three, four, but then they'll back out of the story the same way they came, and they'll go three, two, one, and they'll end the story the same way. For example, the whole Bible is a chiasm. It begins in a garden with a wedding. It ends in a garden with a wedding. Adam and Eve, Jesus and his bride. It steps into judgment of the whole earth with the flood. It ends with judgment of the whole earth with fire. And it keeps working its way into the very center of the message is Christ died on the cross for you. It's, it's a beautiful thing you can see overall. But let me just show you one here in this passage. So again, I'm not expecting you to be able to read all that, although it looks like you can. But I just want you to follow the colors. In this chiasm, it starts with, hey, I brought you out of Egypt. And if you're disobedient, I'm going to put you right back in. Okay, and you'll see that prophecy was fulfilled. And then, um, then it progresses to say, your eyes are going to see things, but you're going to get tired of seeing them. And, and everything you see, you see, you see. And then it ends that it works its way out the same way. And then the next one is, you shall serve gods of wood and stone if you're disobedient. And again, of course, it was fulfilled when they were carried off into captivity because they were worshiping gods of wood and stone. And then it says that, what, what's going to happen to you is going to be for everybody to see. You're going to be an embarrassment among all the nations and all the people, all the different nationalities. And then, why is all this going to happen? Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, and he reminds him again on his way out. And then he says, and all this is going to happen until you're destroyed. And he says it three times, 
until you destroy, until it destroys, and then he reminds him one more time on the way out. But what is the very center of this passage? He says, and you shall eat the fruit of your womb. Oh my gosh, this gets more uncomfortable. In other words, you're going to be in such desperate situation, you're going to be starving. You're going to be so starving that when a mom gives birth to the baby, people are going to be fighting over the baby for dinner. That's how bad it's going to be. Again, the Bible puts it some, puts it some, some pretty uncomfortable spots, doesn't it? But what it's trying to do is put some un- discomfort in your brain to realize, you know what? Sin hurts. Sin is sick. Sin is disgusting. Sin is uncomfortable. That's what God's trying to do. And God's not saying, suggesting that people do this. He's saying people have done this, and if you're not careful, you're going to be one of them. But here's the thing I want you to get. It says the man who is the most tender and refined, the most respected guy in town, will do this. And then it goes on to say the most tender and refined woman among you, She's going to have a baby and she's going to hide it. So she, not just to protect it, so she can have it to eat herself. No fun, huh? But notice who does this. The most tender and refined man is capable of the worst things. The most tender and refined woman is capable of these things. You know why? Because sin does terrible things to us. Sin really perverts our life. So you enlarge it right there. And why has all this happened? Because you don't obey the voice of the Lord, and God's going to, that, that sin is going to destroy you, and even the best person you thought. That's why Jeremiah says, and we say this verse a lot around here, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And yet, you know what the world says? Follow your heart. You just look deep down inside you. You will find the answer there. Every Disney movie is about this. It's about follow your heart, just do what the little spirit guides tell you and do what feels good. You just be you. doesn't matter what everybody in your family is telling you. You just go out and find yourself and do all these things that are so contrary to the Word of God. The Bible says your heart is messed up. It's broken, and Jesus needs to fix it. And when Jesus fixes your heart, then you can follow that as you follow Him. Um, as sinners, we are capable of worse things than we can imagine. And, and how many times have we seen on the news where... Some guy gets put in prison for molesting children, and everybody's like, man, he taught Sunday school at our church. He was the nicest guy. Never, I can't believe this is true. People are capable of some pretty horrible things. In 1961, they had the Nuremberg trials, where they took a lot of the Nazis, especially their leaders, and they put them on trial. And there was a Jewish man that, that survived the concentration camps after being treated horribly, and his name was Yehiel Denur. And this, this was his striped prison uniform that he had to wear, or one of them. And so he's, they, one of the court officers holding up and they're asking, do you remember this? Do you remember having to wear this? And he's testifying in this thing. And then they bring in Adolf Eichmann. Adolf Eichmann was the right-hand man of Adolf Hitler, and he's the one that carried out most of the atrocities. And when Yehiel Nutner saw him, he broke down uncontrollably, just crying, and he just collapsed under the pain of all, of all that he saw. And years later, Mike Wallace interviewed him on 60 Minutes. He said, what happened in this scene right here? Was it post-traumatic stress disorder? Was it the flashbacks of all you went through? Was it the horror of seeing him again? And and Yahiel Denor's answer was, 
I mean, actually, I may just read it to you. He suddenly walked in. I'm in the middle of the paragraph and saw Eichmann. He suddenly realized that he was no demon. Eichmann wasn't. He was not a Superman either. He was an ordinary human being, exactly like Denor himself. And suddenly, Denor became terrified about himself, and he told Mike Wallace that he realized that he was capable of doing the exact same things. You know, without Jesus Christ, human beings are capable of really horrible things. And we do it all the time. I mean, we think all this stuff is in the past and Nazis were bad people and that happened then. We've got 27 million people on this planet in slavery today, most of them in sex slavery. We've got little girls being kidnapped at ages six, seven, eight years old, being hauled off and being drugged and being put into to, to horrible places for men and women to abuse, and this goes on and on. on. Our, our society is hooked on pornography, and a large number of the women in those pornographic scenes are not there because they want to be there. They are slaves. And if you're involved in pornography, you are supporting that industry. Let me just tell you about that. Our world is wicked. We, we see the highlight reels on the news and on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat. We see the highlights. But there's a, a whole bunch of horrible things going on in the world. Just right up the road in Houston, Texas, we have a major hub of human sex trafficking on the planet, right down the road. It's all happening right behind our scenes, and nobody seems to care enough to do anything about it. We're just all busy watching our streaming and, and, and watching our shows and binging on whatever while the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I used to, when I was young, I used to, they preachers used to always say, Jesus is coming soon. I'd be like, yeah, that'd be great, but man, I really have some fun things I want to do first. Not anymore. And not just for me. When I think about how many children on this planet are being abused or starving, and, and most of those diseases could be cured if we would just share the food on this planet. I'm not talking about socialism. I'm not talking about us giving and feeding the world, but we'd rather feed our Starbucks habit than to feed children in the Sudan. Right now, just last year, 2,000 churches were destroyed in Nigeria. The Muslims are running through that country. They have a, they're in the midst of a vast civil world war. Have you heard anything about that on the news? No. All you want to hear is so-and-so got beat up by a cop, which doesn't justify that. But we got people killing people in Africa, Muslims killing Christians, taking their daughters into sex slavery, and we've sent troops all over the planet to do all kinds of things to protect oil and to protect this, protect that. Why not protect them? You know what my opinion is? It's racism. If, 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 if it was a white country destroying each other, we'd, we, we got involved in Serbia and Croatia, right? We get involved all over. We get involved in Vietnam. We get involved in Korea. But when Africans kill each other, it's like, eh, whatever. Don't tell me that there's not racism on both sides. And I'm not, I, you know, the Republicans have this answer and the Democrats this answer, and they're both just messed up. And Jesus didn't get involved in that. When Jesus, he saw the people on the right, the Pharisees were his enemies. The people on the left, the Sadducees were his answer. He's like, I'm not going to get involved in either one. And not saying being moderate, he was above it all. Anyway, the world is, is pretty messed up. And, and what, you know, Therapists have even mentioned how, um, let me go to the next slide here. In the 60s and 70s, people would go to a therapist and say, hey, what's wrong with me? How can I be a better person? And today, and this is not just opinion, this is fact, now people are saying, what's wrong with people? Why can't they be better? And, and even the therapists are telling them, you know, your mom treated you bad, that's your problem. 
People are rude to you. That's your problem. They're bullies. And the problem is always somebody else, and it's not in here. And let me tell you something. Parents, the best lesson you can teach your kids is the biggest enemy they have is the one they see in the mirror. That they will mess up their own life more than anybody else will. Yes. Do they have to deal with enemies? Yes. Do they have to deal with bullies? Yes. But the way they deal with that is to deal with the person in the mirror first and not just blame everybody else because they didn't get what they wanted when they were young. We think the problem is outside of us and the solution is inside of us. Again, every movie is like, look within your heart, honey. The answer is deep inside you. That is the biggest lie from hell. You see, the reality is, the truth is the problem is in our heart and the solution is outside of us. And what is outside of us? There's the word of God. There's God himself. There is his church. And all, we need all those resources on the outside to influence what's on the inside to change our hearts so that we can be more like Christ. You see, the truth is you're more wicked than you ever dared believe. But, and yet, you are more loved and accepted in Christ than you ever dared hope. And that's by Tim Keller. You see, conservative religions say, you're a bad person, you're a bad person. Straighten up, straighten up, straighten up. Liberal churches say, you're good, you're amazing. Look inside your heart. And both are wrong. We need to be balanced to where we say, yes, your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. But through Jesus Christ and his love, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can't just preach half the Bible, one half or the other. You've got to merge the two, and that's the gospel and that, and that we need to apply to our hearts. So Deuteronomy 28 shows us a bunch of warnings. It says, hey, don't go down these roads. Don't do these things. And it says that the curse is going to bring confusion. You, your life is going to get to where you, nothing makes sense if you just walk away from God. The curse brings frustration. You feel like you're going to run into brick walls and you're fighting maybe even against God himself. The curse closes heaven to where your prayers aren't answered. And the curse brings out the worst in us. But again, do we have to choose the curse? No. He said, hey, I put before you today blessing and curse. Choose you this day whom you will serve. One of the things we covered last week as I draw a conclusion here is that when you are born again, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, which is... A, a, happens at a certain day and time when you make that decision, okay? It's just like being born. If I asked you, what's your birthday? You would tell me. If I said, when did you get married? You would tell me. And on that day, you started a new relationship. You were a child in a family. When you got married, you were a husband and a wife. I want to know, have you ever entered into a relationship on a certain day and time with Jesus Christ where you became a child of God? If you make that decision, it is an infinite line that goes out into eternity. Jesus saves you once and for all. But there is another line that goes with it called fellowship. And how well you get along with God is up to you. You obey, things go great. You disobey, things go bad. Again, I'm not saying you'll never experience pain or trauma, okay? I'm just saying consequences of your sin, though, cause life to go up and down. And thank God eternity is based on the red line. You see, there's curse and there's blessing. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Think about this. Jesus, who did nothing wrong. The worst thing he did was feed 5,000 people, raise the dead, heal the blind. Oh, that's really bad, Jesus. You're a horrible person. Did nothing wrong. And yet he took every wicked sin that's in this room here, and including this guy here, and every sin that I've already talked about, whether it be Sodom and Gomorrah or sex trafficking, all that sin 
heaped upon his shoulders. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. And that's why it's, it's written in the Old Testament, curses everyone who has hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing, so Jesus takes away the curse and now gives us the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, that's us, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. How? Through faith. Not through your baptism. Not through keeping the Ten Commandments. Not because you're just trying really hard. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He saves you. He lifts the curse off from you. You no longer have to pay that punishment in hell. He puts His blessing upon you so that you are His child and you will spend eternity forever with Him. Have you put your faith in Christ? I want to challenge you this morning to think carefully about that. And, but let me just share something with you that's really the hard truth. And you say, Gary, you're really heavy today. And, and, and it is. It, it's, it's heavy stuff. I, I, I would much rather be preaching live your best life now and just make you all go home feeling wonderful about everything. But I, we're going through Deuteronomy, and I'm just going right through this. But let me just share with you the hard truth. Some of you are not ready to be saved. Just let that linger there for a second. And here's why. You're like, but I like my life the way it is. I like my phone. I like my porn. I like messing with my girlfriend. I like being making lots and lots of money. You're not ready. Until you're ready to give up those things. I'm not saying quit those things to be saved. I'm saying be willing to. You see, Mark 1.15, Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. We don't, we don't hear the word repent enough. Repent. The, the Greek word is a military command where soldiers are marching in one direction, and the, the commander says, about face, and they turn and march the other direction. They don't just turn and look. They turn and immediately start marching the other direction. Repent means to do an about face. Your life is heading this way with all your selfish goals and all your selfish plans and everything you want to do. And God says, repent and follow me. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Believe the gospel. What is the gospel? Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again for your, for your justification. See, you can, tr you can trust in Jesus today and to save you from the punishment of your sins and confess him as the Lord of your life. You see, everybody wants to pray a quick prayer and take Jesus as Savior, but the Bible does not separate Jesus' lordship from his salvation. The two are connected. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can't just say, well, I don't want to go to hell, so Lord Jesus, please save me. It's Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll take up my cross. I'll follow you. I give my life to you because you gave your life to me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? And I'm not going to apologize for being a hard message because that would be a disgrace to God. There are tough things in the Bible, but praise God, there are wonderful things in the Bible too. The tough thing is you're a sinner in need of a Savior. The wonderful blessing is Jesus is your Savior. And once he died on the cross for you, he wants to save you. And he wants you to spend eternity with him. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you do that right now? Make a decision to just say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I make you the Lord of all. And I thank you for forgiving all my sins. I, I receive your forgiveness. 
Father, thank you for speaking to hearts this morning. I pray that you'd give them courage to make their decisions public. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. If you made that decision, this is my cell phone. Please call me or text me. Let's talk about it. If you're still not sure, maybe, I, Gary, I'm, I want to believe this stuff. I want to believe the Bible, but I'm not really sure. Great. No problem. We welcome skeptics here. We have them every Sunday. So let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. And like I said, in just a moment, we're going to do a question and answer. In fact, let's go ahead and do that now. And Amanda, can I have you help me again? All right, great. So, all right. So feel free to text those questions in any time here. And there we go. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Who is our he's referring to? That's great. Great question. So us and our, obviously plural. And the word for God is Eloi. And anytime you, like in America or in English, if we want to make something plural, what do we add to the end? S. Yeah, dog, dogs. In Hebrew, you add I am. So Eloi, like for example, there's a cherub, multiple cherubs are the cherubim, right? Seraph, and then there's the seraphim. Eloi, Elohim, it's plural. Now, we don't believe in three gods, we believe in one God who expresses himself in three persons. Now again, that's heavy material, but it, the Bible says it's true. Um, this is a bad metaphor, but I'll share it anyway. The Bible, when the Bible says, God, I am body, soul, and spirit, so I am created in the image of God. I am one Gary, but I have three parts. I have a body, a soul, and a spirit. God is one God, but he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each of them are distinct from one another and eternally distinct, and each one of them are part of the Godhead. And so that's why, basically, what's happening here is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is saying, let us make man in our image, just like we are three parts they, they will be three parts, okay? Again, not all that translates from deity to humanity, but that's what the us and the our are. It's, it's the Trinity. Good question. Can you explain what it means when it says, curse shall you be when you come in and when you go out? Out as in death? No, it's coming in and out of your house. Okay. So when you come home from a long day of work and you're in your house, and it says you'll be cursed there. Again, it also said you'll be blessed in your home. But then when you go out to work, go out to do whatever you're going to do. And most of the time when the Bible talks about coming out, it's talking about coming out to go to work. That's what everybody went out for. So it's, it's just talking about in and out of your house for work or for rest. Are we to assume that Lot has engaged with perverted acts with the other men of the town? I wouldn't assume that. Um, he, it's possible. Um, it's so interesting because Lot is so jacked up in so many ways, and yet the book of Jude calls him righteous Lot. You know why he's righteous? Because he was in Christ. The only way you can say Gary's righteous is not because he's so wonderful. It's because I'm in Christ. My life's messed up in so many ways. I do a lot of stupid stuff. Even this morning, I said some things. I'm like, that wasn't right. I shouldn't have said that, you know? But I'm righteous in God's eyes because I'm in his son. You know, he took my sin and gave me his righteousness. So even Lot, as, mess, as messed up as he was, we could talk about it for a while. Was he also the one righteous person that Abraham was pleading for? Yes. Yeah. Destroyed. Exactly. Abraham um, begged God not to destroy the city. 
You said, what if there's 50 people? And God says, okay, I won't destroy it. Because God's like, I know there's not 50. What, 40, 30, 20, 10? God's like, I know there's not even that many. Whatever, keep bargaining. I know what's happening. Good point. And this is um, posed as a question, but if God came today and told you to follow him, how would you react? Great question. Good challenge to all of us. If Jesus Christ was here in person and said, hey, come follow me, how would you react? The truth is, he is here, right? Isn't this his church? And he, he inhabits the praises of his people. He's there in our midst. So Jesus is calling you. He's using this clay jar to convey that message. Any other questions? Mm-hmm. Okay. The Apostle Luke details a story when Jesus was teaching and noticed the crowd growing. He then starts to tell a parable to confuse them. Was Jesus less concerned about attracting a large audience? If so, why are churches so focused on numbers? Man, great. That's just so many things in there. Um, so, yeah, Jesus, we, how many of you have heard the phrase, parables are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning? Just throw that one in the trash can because that's just lame. Parables were meant to, Jesus purposely, he told them, I'm speaking in parables so that people would be like, what? What is he saying? Because he wanted them to, it's like, it was like a hurdle for them to get over. Do I really want to understand this or am I just here for the free fish sandwiches? And he even told them so much. When the crowds came back the next day, he said, you're here for the food. And he said, let me, let me, instead of giving you a sandwich, let me tell you this. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you won't even see the kingdom of heaven. And they're like, what? Oh, man, no sandwiches today. And they all walked away. And like the disciples were all excited because there's thousands of people crowding around Jesus when he's lesson. And the next day, he chases them all off with a hard preaching. And the disciples are like, man, Jesus, that was a deal killer. And he's like, well, you want to leave me too? And then Peter said one of the good things he says. He says, Lord... You alone have the words of eternal life. You know, we're here to stay. So there was this pattern that Jesus did. He would do miracles and feed to draw the hard crowd, and then he'd preach the hellfire and brimstone and say, okay, now who's going to stick around? So I, um, that's why as much as I don't enjoy it, I'm, I'm an optimistic person. I, this is probably the toughest sermon I've preached this year, would you say? Was it probably the most... I guess if you could say negative. So, and on the day we have a ton of guests, right? Yeah, that's perfect. Though. So, but hey, I'm just good. My promise to you is not that it's all going to be all bubblies and rainbows and kitty cats. Okay, I'm going to preach you the truth. And some Sundays I preach it's nothing but blessing and isn't God good. And some Sundays I get on hard chapters like this, and that's just the way it is. But I try to always bring us back to Christ. Good. Any others? Um, for clarification, for those who may be wondering about this, um, what about somebody who? is on the fence trying to make a decision, but is like, well, if my heart's so wicked and deceitful, and I think these things all the time, even if I think I am saved, am I beyond being saved? Am I no, nobody's beyond being saved, okay? So that's a whole other sermon, but I'll just make that statement. Um, so imagine you're drowning, okay? And someone throws you, better yet, someone swims in, okay? Holds out their hand. You can say, yeah, I don't want to drown and take their hand. Or you can say, no, no, I got this. I got this. I'm a good swimmer. I was at the YMCA, you know? And you could be, so why would someone even say that? Because they're full of pride. God wants you to see that you have nothing to be proud of. You are desperate and on your sinking deep in sin. And he's just saying, hey, but I love you and I'll bring you out. Just, just take my hand. Just take my hand. That's, 
You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to learn how to swim. I'm not going to teach you how to. I'm just simply going to just put you on my back and take you. But a lot of people are like, no, no, I got this. I got this. Because they know, well, if you save my life, you rescue me, then I'm going to feel obligated to you. And I don't want that. I'd rather just keep on trying to swim. And that, that's what's happening. And I'm not, I'm not knocking people who are lost. You and I have been that person, right? It's only by the grace of God that we get so low to realize, I need a Savior. And so that's, that's what God wants you to, to realize. In your response to this question, there's another question. Um, are, are we to assume that Lot engaged with perverted acts with the other men of the town, which you answered? Then the next question is, is that why he offered his daughters? Because homosexuality is an abomination? It could have been his own warped religion, yeah. That's a good, that's a good theory, yeah. But that, that's one of those pitiful scenes. And so here's the irony of that scene. And this just connected. The light bulb just went on. He offered his daughters. What do you think his daughters thought? Dad, what are we? And so you know what his daughters did later? They're like, well, if you think we're tramps and hoes, then I guess we'll act like it. And they got him drunk to have kids because they thought the world was ending. And I think that seed was planted then when he offered them. And then, man, I just put two and two together. That's why I love question and answer because I think I learned as much as y'all do. All right, cool. Good job. All right, let's stand. Yeah, give a man a hand. Let's stand. And um, if you'll skip to, you'll go to the next the verse of Scripture. We're going to read this Scripture as a benediction of blessing over one another. So let's stand and read this together, nice and aloud with honor to the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.